Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden. Glad you could join me. Great show in store for you. From the floor of Pheasant Fest, yeah, we're going back to Minneapolis via the miracles of digital technology, talking with somebody about, well, the important stuff to us, access to public ground and who's working for us. Well, the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership sure is. I'll be talking exclusively to Whit Fosberg. He's the CEO of TRCP. Yeah, I remember when they first got their start, but we'll uh, we'll go down that rabbit hole later in the podcast. Who's looking out for you? Uh, what you can do, what they are doing, and how we can be involved, as well as the benefits of what they're doing for us. In our Handle It segment, let your tools take the blame, yeah? We'll find out what you're doing for the in the way of training for this weekend and then uh, do you give your dog a vacation after the season? Well, I asked that question. You might be a little surprised at the answers. It's all coming up here on the Upland Nation podcast. Brought to you by Sage and Breaker gun care products, cleaning products, uh, storage, transport, a little bit of everything, all heirloom quality and all by folks who know of what they speak. Fred Bohm and his team are hunters, and they know what they're talking about. We're also brought to you by PointerShotguns.com, MidValleyClays.com, and their shooting school, TrueLockChokes.com, MidwayUSA.com, JoyDogFood.com, and FindBirdHuntingSpots.com. Yeah. Well, I saw my first bluebird recently, and that's the harbinger of spring around here. Mountain bluebird, the really, really blue ones. You know, you're walking down the trail with the dog somewhere out there in the distance, and between you and the dog, there's this sparkle. It's a jewel flying around. Yeah, that's how blue they are. There's some sort of iridescence in their feathers. I don't know what it is. If you know what it is, drop me a note and tell me. I need the explanation. Anyway, that was a good sign, especially walking on bare ground. That helps a lot as well. We are still um, and constantly, so are you. If you got a pointing dog, the steadiness training never ends. Around here, we're we're out in the in the back 40 and beyond putting birds on the ground and then overlaying gunshots as those birds are kind of walking around and getting ready to fly, hoping that flick will stay still the whole time. And I'll tell you, I'm knocking wood because it's happening. It really is. Thank goodness for that. And how about you? What are you training on? Well, let's take a look here. Uh, Mike Augello is talking about, um, let's see. Oh, my, running on spring woodcock the last couple of days. And finding them, too. Three points, three birds up. Good for you. Jason Carter, remember Jason from a couple podcasts ago? He sent a video. I'm watching it as we speak. Dog on point. Come on, Jason, I need another look at that dog. Uh, woodcock on a rock. No, on the ground. Boy, I can barely see it as a... Uh, 
as a colorblind bird hunter, I probably ought to pick a different species, maybe peacock. Anyway, it looks good, and that dog is steady as all get out. Um, Brian Reynolds, congratulations. Somebody's a new father over there. Looks like four or five Weimaraner pups all snuggled up against mom. Good luck to all of you. Jim Hayes is picking up his Llewellyn at the trainer. He spent all winter with him. So glad for you, and I bet the homecoming will be a whole bunch of fun. Well, congratulations to you. And hey, keep me posted on what else you're doing these days, everybody. You know how to do it. Wing Shooting USA Facebook page is probably the most active, but I also have that personal page. And then, of course, the Upland Nation podcast page. So um, take a look. You'll probably learn something, and um, so will I. Now, I did ask, speaking of learning, I did ask in a recent Upland Nation Insider uh, newsletter, do you give your dog a long vacation during the off-season, say more than a week? And I was frankly surprised at the answers. Almost 80% of you said, heck yeah. I'd be curious to know how long that vacation is and whether it um, it really means the dog just kind of lollygags around or you get a little exercise or a little training in there. But 80% of you are giving your dog what I'm sure is a well-deserved rest. As I said, we're brought to you in part by Sage and Breaker Gun Cleaning and Care Products. Uh, just a quick reminder, this is the time of year to go back to the safe or the closet and take a look at all your shotguns. Make sure they're clean, lubricated for the long term, and then do a quick inventory. See if you need anything else, whether it's a cleaning mat, gun care and cleaning tools, or even some lubricants. So take a look and then go to sageandbreaker.com. You'll find everything you need right there. Except for the shotgun, which you can get at pointershotguns.com. Yeah, they're, they're just flying out of there. And the best part about the guys at Pointer Shotguns, and you know, you remember Andy McCormick from a podcast a while back. These guys are working hard to keep the flow coming. Train loads, bus loads, no, container loads of shotguns coming in every week just to make sure that your dealer has what you want. Shop the inventory at pointershotguns.com. Find a nearby retailer. Pick out the models you like. Watch a couple of my videos and read some of my articles while you're there. I sure appreciate that. Boy, one of the one of the great interviews I've been looking forward to having is with this guy because I was there at the very beginning, and I'm so excited the organization is is going so well. I'm Scott Linden. You're here, of course, at Pheasant Fest and the Quail Classic, conducting interviews with some of the leaders in the industry. And one of the guys that I've wanted to talk to for a long time is with me now. Whit Fosberg is the president and CEO of the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership. 
Whit, how's your pheasant fest going? Uh, it's about three hours old right now, but uh -huh. it's going great. Uh, yeah. I've had, had some time to go around and visit the various booths and look yeah. at things and yeah. do a little shopping. Go good. So, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. no, it's been going great. And well, I'm looking forward to dinner tonight and uh, yep. celebrating Howard Vince's tenure, among other things. And yeah. then we're doing a little panel tomorrow. Yeah, you guys probably uh, call each other in the middle of the night and cry on each other's shoulders once in a while. As little you? as possible. Yeah. <laughs> Dan Forrester. Dan Forrester. Yeah, look at us. Here we are. Here we are on the on on the floor making a podcast and saying hello to everybody who's coming by. It's like a high school reunion it is, around yes. here. You know, you can't walk down an aisle without seeing somebody you know or who knows you. And yep. uh, luckily, nobody with a badge is coming after me. Uh, so, so the organization has been around well since my buddy Dave left a long time ago so tell us about the group so the theodore roosevelt conservation partnership was born theodore roosevelt conservation alliance back in 2001 got changed to partnership in 2002 for not important reasons yeah and uh we've been sort of uh you know different stages of the organization since then it was created by a fellow named jim range who you knew i had the pleasure of yep. interviewing him on field and stream radio there we go so jim had been howard baker's chief counsel when baker was a senate majority leader during the reagan years and jim had written a lot of the early environmental laws in the country and became frustrated with how irrelevant he thought the hunting and fishing community had become i mean it was our community that really started the conservation movement going all the way back to theodore roosevelt um, you know, between early environmental laws, start the market hunting, early public land network, paying for conservation through excise taxes, through duck stamps, through all the rest. And uh, the groups did amazing jobs. And over time, the problem was that we did such a good job on grouse, on woodcock, on turkeys, on pheasants, on you name the species, that uh, we you know, lost a little bit of our collective eye on federal policy that underlies everything. So Jim wanted to bring that community back, and he always felt that really formed the sensible center of the policy debate in Washington. And uh, you know, that was, you know, in 2002, 2009, he started complaining about back pains, kidney cancer, dead within a month. So the organization had to go from a very charismatic individual who could call the White House, call any senator, uh, you know, call a few funders, and, uh, you know, sort of the organization of Jim, to something that's a little more traditional nonprofit. So that's when I came in. I'd been at Trout Unlimited for 15 years, and it's been a great ride since. I knew your name sounded familiar. I was a member and helped organize one of the national conventions when it was out in Oregon. Oh, many, yeah. Many years ago. Yeah. Um, well, that, that transition had to have been a, a real... I don't know what to call it, a watershed moment for you guys. Well, it was a lot of folks thought the organization was going yeah. to go under. Yeah. And uh, because it was, it hadn't really defined itself. I mean, it was important and it had achieved really important things in those years. But when you lose someone as big and as charismatic as that, I mean, you have to reassess a whole organization. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for example, you know, the organization was housed in the wing of Jim's law firm which the firm was happy to subsidize when he was a rainmaker for yeah. the firm. Yeah. But with his passing, you know, that 150000 a year that they were essentially subsidizing the organization, they were not willing to do that anymore. So we had to, we changed the board of directors, we changed you know, the physical location of the office, new bylaws, new strategic plan. But it's gone great. And today we're up to 63 different groups under our umbrella. Wow. It's not a trade association. Nobody pays dues. It's the coalition, the willing, as long as they're willing to roll up your sleeves and work for conservation. All right. So let's get into that because um, 
you know, in this room right now are a dozen groups all doing great work and some seldom overlapping, which is really good. Uh, but what are you, what are your primary objectives at the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership? Well, we've got a pretty simple mission: is guaranteeing all Americans quality places to hunt and fish. Yeah, and uh, we do that is you know in five core areas, and that's public lands, private lands, water, marine fisheries, and climate. And each of those areas has a senior staff person, and then working groups underneath them. For example, our private lands group just last week released our recommendations for the 2023 Farm Bill. And there were 27 different groups that were part of that process of pulling together those recommendations. And that really goes back to Jim's original vision for the organization. And because back in those days, he'd go through a farm bill and, you know, the commodity groups would go into a room, come out with a position, never waver. Conservation community would go into a room, come out with a position. As soon as the going got tough, they'd scatter like a covey of quail. Yeah. You know, trying to cut the best deal they could for their critter. Okay. And, uh, and that frustrated Jim greatly. And so now I think we've gotten the discipline to stick together, to have recognized that if we can grow the conservation program of the Farm Bill broadly, it's going to help everybody. Yeah. You don't need to go and just fight for a wetland program or a CRP or whatever. We fight for all of it together. Yeah. So give us an example of the kind of organizations that are members of your organization. Yeah. Well, Fezzes Forever is a key one. Howard Vinson is on our board. Uh, you know, Turkey Federation, Becky Humphreys on our board as well. Um, but others like Trout Unlimited, the usual suspects, Coastal Conservation Association. But what makes us a little bit different is, for example, Outdoor Industry Association, which is the trade association for the REI and LL Bean and you know, the mainstream recreational companies. We have the AFL-CIO, because Jim got to become friends with Rich Strumka. 70% of the 12 million members hunt and fish. Of course. And they, you yeah. know, Trumka saw this as something he could do for the AFL-CIO's membership because this is what they do when they're not working. And uh, so they're part of it. You know, we have the Hispanic Outreach Foundation. We have the Minority Outdoor Alliance to try to get other you know, voices into the community. The Land Trust community, from Nature Conservancy to the Conservation Fund to the Trust for Public Land. So it's a very much a big tent. And listen, we agree to disagree. There are certain issues we're not going to you know, see eye to eye on, and we park those to the door and just work together on the stuff we do agree on. So um, oh, give us an example of uh, one of your recent triumphs, victories. I, well, so, I don't want to make a big deal about yeah, it. Yeah, so let's look at the, uh, the big climate bill that passed last fall. Several years ago, we had gotten together as a community recognizing that a lot of the action was going to be in the climate space. Okay. You know, regardless of what your you know, positions are on you know, what climate change is or what's happening or what's not happening. That was going to be where you know, the decisions were being made in Washington on federal policy. So we convened our partners, originally the hunting groups, including Fezzes Forever, Rough Grouse, Turkey Federation, Ducks Unlimited, Elk Foundation, others, and got together and came out with you know, basically a position on climate. Okay. Then we brought that to the broader you know, 63 organizations. We actually had 40 groups in the room for three days hammering out a position, which basically said, hey, you got to deal with emissions, but you also have to invest in the land and water side of climate. I mean, basically green things are what suck carbon out of the atmosphere. And, uh, and so you can do things that are good for climate, but they happen to be great for hunting and fishing too. That's more land and conservation in farm country. It's barrier islands instead of higher levees on our coasts. It's restored wetlands that filter water and slow down flooding. You know, so all those things that our groups were doing already and doing really well, we reframed a lot of that in the climate lens 
And lo and behold, in that climate bill, we have essentially a doubling of the conservation title of the Farm Bill. Wow. And you know, it, it, it's fascinating. And it, it, I'm a slow learner, but I, eventually I do pick up some things. And this whole idea of leveraging the climate situation, and I'm not going to go any farther than that on that, into things that will help sportsmen yep. and women of all sorts, and right. then wildlife and, and broadly speaking, conservation. Yep. They're all hand in glove. Absolutely. Yep, so if you're a big game hunter, you're going to want connected corridors because yeah. elk, pronghorn, mule deer, they all migrate. And uh, that was part of the infrastructure bill that passed last fall was a pilot program in the highway bill that would fund overpasses, underpasses to let animals move. And yeah, they, they need that for a variety of reasons, but it's great for hunting. Who'd have thunk that a highway bill would have anything to do with wildlife, let alone game animals? Yeah. Well, we had to re, you know, we had to re-educate or yeah. educate a lot of policymakers that, you know, this is not an you know we quote environmental program. This makes sense for people who drive cars too. Think yeah. of all the people that are killed Crash. every year yeah. hitting elk or deer or whatever yeah. the animal might be. Yeah. And so it hurts the wildlife. It hurts the hunters. It hurts the average you know driver. It hurts the insurance companies. So a weird coalition came together to push for this. I love it. <laughs> I, I'm just the opposite. When I worked in politics, my job was to divide and conquer. But that's why I'm not in it anymore. Yep. Um, oh, you'd fit right in now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Scott Linden. This is the Upland Nation podcast. Whit Fosberg is the CEO and the president of the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership. I would say TCRP because you probably do. It's just yeah, a Yeah, TRCP runs off the tongue a little bit better. Oh, than, yes. You know, yeah, the, the, poor, term. the poor front desk people have to answer the long way. Um, all right, so what's number one on your agenda right now? Oh, Farm Bill. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, I mean, we don't expect a whole lot of legislation to pass Congress this year. Okay. And uh, But we, one thing that probably will pass or should pass is a Farm Bill, okay. which has always been bipartisan, even in very partisan atmosphere. And, and we know the Farm Bill as uh, as where CRP originates. CRP, but, but a lot of other things. I mean, it's the largest conservation program in this country. Yeah. And it's all voluntary. It's to private landowners to do the right thing for, you know, for the habitat, for critters, for water quality, for soil health, and uh, incredibly effective. It originally grew out of, you know, the conservation title grew out of the farm crisis back in the 80s, and they wanted to pay farmers not to farm. And it uh, became so popular, you know, with not only farmers, but with, you know, upland bird hunters, with deer hunters, with everybody else who saw the benefits of this, in addition to putting a check in a farmer's pocket. So it has grown since then, and the last Farm Bill five years ago was the first time that we actually spent more money on conservation than we did on commodities. No kidding. And uh, which is, you know, I think a real evolution, you know, that has been good for everybody. Well, give us some more examples of, uh, under the umbrella of the Farm Bill, what else comes out of there besides CRP that has a, yeah. that's relevant to us? Well, let's look at, I mean, I, like if you're in the West, we're dealing with a chronic drought, you know, out there. And the Colorado River is essentially going to run dry over the next couple of years. So one of the mechanisms under the EQUIP program in the Farm Bill is you can give grants to farmers, often in conjunction with an NGO like a Pheasants Forever, or maybe not in that area, but a Trout Unlimited, to work with you to improve your irrigation efficiencies, to leave more water in the stream to go downstream. So that'd just be one example, or even fallowing land sometimes if that was necessary. Sure. And so there's a, a Western example of how the Farm Bill can be used to achieve broader conservation and fish and wildlife goals. Um, 
other places out here, it could be you know, doing with manure management um, at a, a farm. You know, so those are just some of the types of things that we get funded under the farm bill. So mechanically, mm -hmm. procedurally, it just doesn't happen. Like you said, you spend three days in a not smoke-filled room working with a lot of the stakeholders. I hate to use that term. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and amongst them all, they've got ideas, thoughts, background information. And then it starts from there. Mm -hmm. And what happens after that? Well, I mean, listen, I mean, part of the beauty of our community in a farm bill like negotiation is, yeah, we're out there arguing for new programs, new funding levels, all the rest. But we're also the practitioners who are doing this stuff on the ground. Yeah. So we get the feedback loop comes from the Ducks ah. Unlimited, from the Pheasants Forever, saying, hey, this is really working well, but we could use a few tweaks here. Yeah. And so the next farm bill may not be a whole new program. It may be perfecting what we already have and just making it work better. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of that is, you know, why our community has been so integrally involved with this for so long and why it's worked so well across the country. And, and we all know uh, we pay in many ways, whether it's an excise tax on firearms and ammunition, bows, arrows, fishing equipment of various sorts, and then license fees and, uh, and the duck stamp money and all that. But where, where does the rest of the money come from? Well, the federal treasury pays yeah. for a lot of it for the farm bill because I think if they decided long ago correctly that it's in our natural interest to have a food supply. <laughs> what a and, concept. Yeah, I mean, what a concept. Yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, what a lot of people don't recognize is the farm bill is not just about, you know, paying farmers what they do on farm. It's also the nutrition part. So there was a real hunger crisis back during the 70s, and that's when the nutrition side got moved in, food stamps. And that's why you can always pass a farm bill. Oh, yeah. You have this weird coalition oh. of urban members that like the nutrition side, rural members that like the farm side, and together they create a bill with Republican and Democratic support that can has historically always passed. You know, being a student of political history, I'm thinking that was the first model of what you're now manifesting mm -hmm. in the climate area. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're, listen, our, our community is smart about growing things and working on the ground and fixing things. Yeah, you know, we don't, we're not that smart about, you know, how do you reduce emissions out of a power plant or whatever. Other people can work on that stuff. But what we can add is that on the ground, on the water side of, you know, the whole climate debate that is often overlooked because of arguing about emission reduction sources. Yeah. I'll never forget standing in a room full of every, every one of those groups on a local or on a statewide level and they snapped the bow hunters didn't like the hound hunters, didn't like the fly fishers, who didn't like the marine guy. And Ben Franklin's uh, famous quote came to mind, if we don't all hang together, we'll certainly hang separately. Indeed. I mean, and that was, you know, Jim's point. Like, there's a lot to disagree about in Washington. Hunting, fishing, conservation should not be among those things. And if we have issues, you know, if the, you know, the traditional archery guys don't like the crossbow guys, tough you know we all care about habitat yeah. let's make sure we have a habitat and you guys have to go have that argument someplace else well that that, that becomes the challenge though yeah. doesn't it uh not not just focusing or minimizing the bitter the the, mm -hmm. the bickering yep but to keep keeping uh kind of a, a an eye on the prize exactly and uh you know we get we get so fixated on our disagreements yeah and the things that we don't see eye to eye on we forget the 90 percent of stuff we do see eye on well there are some things that uh you and i uh, you and i and everybody in this room ought to do on a day-to-day -to, -day to basis 
uh, to help you guys in the, the partnership, uh, whether it's support for a bill or something even more grassroots. How do we stay in touch with the organization and stay on top of those things? Well, TRCP.org is our website. Yeah. It's got all the information about this stuff and tons of other things from chronic wasting disease to protecting the food base in the marine ecosystem to you name it. Membership is free. Sign up. You'll get a newsletter every week. We're going to ask you occasionally to write your congressman, Great. to send an email. Uh, we hope you'll do that. We're going to try to encourage you to write a check occasionally with a buck knife or a Orvis fly rod or something like that. Um, but basically, you know, what we really need is, you know, folks to raise their hand and be a part of the process. Love it. I mean, this isn't going to happen, you know, with our, our community, the hunters and anglers sitting on the sidelines. Um, because other communities are getting engaged, and if we don't get engaged, we're going to get steamrolled. Somebody said recently that if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Indeed. And there was a time when Congress in particular was rural. I mean, most of the members there came from rural America. They hunted and fished. They got it. That's not the case anymore. We can't assume we're going to be taken care of. That doesn't mean they don't like our stuff. It's just they're not really familiar with it. They didn't grow up hunting and fishing. They didn't grow up in rural America. So part of our job, you know, TRCP, Pheasants Forever, Rough Grouse Society, is to provide that education. Yeah. And then if they're doing something stupid, let them know. If, if we have a really good idea, let them know about that, too, because they want to know it. I love it. That's Whit Fosberg. He's with the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership. I'm Scott Linden. This is the Upland Nation podcast. We're here at Pheasant Fest. There goes another old friend from way back. Uh, we'll be back in just a moment to talk about the really important stuff. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Right after this. And we'll have more from Whit Fosberg of the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership coming up in the second half of the podcast. As well, we will have that Handle It segment, Let Your Tools Take the Blame. If you're kind of intrigued, well, I think you'll probably pick up something of value to you next time you're out in the, in the yard working with your dog. In the meanwhile, yep, just got myself another pair of great brush pants from Midway USA. You know, they have just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, and that's not all. I think I told you I got some camping gear recently. They got a great military surplus department. It's all at MidwayUSA.com, and they aim to please. They just earned the 2022 BizRate Platinum Circle of Excellence Award, yeah, for customer service. If you're looking for, well, just about anything, or just about everything, as they say, go to MidwayUSA.com. And while you're there, scroll down to the bottom, look for the ambassador section, and then you can click on that and find me and watch a large number and growing number of my exclusive videos, all there for MidwayUSA.com. One of the things that will improve your shooting faster than anything else will be a high-quality true lock choke. Best steel, best manufacturing, best engineering in the industry. And hey, did I remind you, they're big into the sub-gauges as well. So if you're shooting something other than a 12-gauge, they've got a choke tube for you and your gun. The list of manufacturers that you can match with your choke tube needs, it's mind-boggling. You name it, they have it at truelockchokes.com. Sub-gauges or the usual stuff. It's all right there. TrueLockChokes.com. 
We're back here at Pheasant Fest in the Quail Classic in Minneapolis. Uh, a great opportunity to connect with all the folks that re yeah, really moved the needle in a lot of ways. And Whit Fosberg is one of those guys. He's the CEO and the president of the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership. We've talked a lot about what I'll broadly term politics. Let's get down to the fun stuff. What do you like to do in your free time? Well, I mean, the reason I got into this work is through hunting and fishing. Yeah, so I grew up in upstate New York in the woods. We lived two miles back on a dirt road. We had a big wood lot that had trout stream that ran through. We had rough grouse, occasional woodcock, plenty of white-tailed deer. And that really formed, you know, my, that was my formative years. And, uh, you know, I found it in, you know, going to Washington and working in federal conservation policy. My brother works for the Park Service out of Boston. So we maintained that uh, avocation being our vocation. Yeah. So uh, it's been good. But probably the, the big week for every year for me is deer camp up in the Adirondacks. Yeah. And uh, it's been something that, you know, my parents did, my grandparents did, and my brother and I still do. We have a couple other guys we hook up with every year up there. And we may shoot a deer occasionally. Um, but it's, you know, that's almost a, just a bonus because just the being out in the woods all day, being with friends, doing good cooking, just having a good time yeah. is, uh, you know, what's, what it's all about. But the beauty of my job is I get to experience a little bit of everything. I mean, I grew up a fly fisherman. I worked for Trout Unlimited for 15 years. Um, I love that. And uh, I do that whenever I can from the Potomac to the upper Delaware system to out west when I get to. But because of my job here, I've been pheasant hunting with Howard Vincent in Iowa. I've been uh, down, I'm going from here down to Georgia to do some quail hunting, uh, which will be you know, a blast. So I got, you know, I've learned how to turkey hunt since I've been here. I grew up in upstate New York. We didn't have turkeys back, back then. then. Yeah. yeah, there are plenty of them now. Yeah. But I don't think I'd ever seen a wild turkey until I was in my 30s or 40s. I love it. And uh, so I've, the, the beauty is just a little bit of everything. I love it. Um, I love saltwater fishing. But, uh, you know, you put a rod in my hand or a you know, rifle or a shotgun, I'm pretty happy. You know, let's get back to your deer camp because a lot of people have a bird camp one sort or another. And we're, we're doing a few variations on that right now in our world. Um, do you have a tradition of any kind that you can share with a family audience? Well, I mean, it's, uh, it's about place as much as anything. Yeah. It's the same spot every year. And uh, that's the you know, central Adirondack Mountains, the camp that's been in the family since the 1880s. And uh, very little has changed up there. Wow. And it's you know, big woods, it's low deer densities. In New York, it's up that area. It's one buck a year, no does. And uh, it's, you know, we don't sit in trees just because, it's, you know, that's a low proposition most of the time. It's sneaking around the woods. And like the deer I killed this year, I've been tracking and uh, in a fresh snow and you know killed that and you know things like that or you know it's very different a lot of people think about deer hunting which is you know sitting in a box all day hoping something wanders by yeah and uh, you know I, I have the luxury of doing that because it's just such big open country up there with so much public land mixed with the private land and uh but you know so that's it's our traditions are about you know one place and then two food plays a major role and i think really? everybody does because yeah. we all like to cook and we all sort of take pride in like outdoing the other in you know some sort of good meal so you know you're going to eat well you know when you get out of the woods at the end of the day oh that's great you have a special recipe you try to top everybody with well i mean any of the game recipes are good it really depends on what you're bringing to the table yeah there you go and uh, like i killed an elk not this fall but the year before so th that provided a couple of really good meals in the adirondacks this year so but that was an that's an aberration 
Yeah, I understand completely. If, uh, you, you know, you're 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 into all of that, and it's it's a, it comes with the territory. Um, the pheasant hunting you've done. What what has been the highlight of your pheasant hunting career? Well, I mean, trust me, my pheasant hunting career has not been that extensive. <laughs> but uh, what I couldn't, we went over to to uh, you know the, I guess it was Northwest Iowa, and uh, hunting CRP land. I just couldn't. I had no idea about that habitat. You're walking through chest high grasses. It is hard, <laughs> and the, you know the birds bust out of that. And like you know somebody yells rooster, and the dogs are all popping up above the grasses and. Just things like that, just vivid memories I will never forget, you yeah. know, as we did that for the first time. I and mean, I'd done, you know, sort of preserve pheasants and things like that in the past, but you do it in a wild place like that with wild birds and that kind of country, it's remarkable. The adrenaline is starting to flow. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm ready in. to go right now. Let's do it. Oh, if only we could. But here we are at Pheasant Fest instead. But the thing that, uh, that, I, that I'm getting from your organization is that there's a lot of behind-the-scenes work that uh, must be done. Yeah, I worked in that world. I understand most of the, you know, it's like an iceberg. Um, of all of those things, what is the biggest challenge you face when you're trying to move, uh, move a bill or move part of something else into a bill? or, or you, you know what I mean. Yeah, I think that the... Uh I mean, the substance is almost the least of it. Because yeah. I think we have pretty good ideas most of the time, and we make a good case. It is, you know, the broken nature of Washington. Yeah. Because one party assumes that the other party is trying to screw them. Yeah. And uh, you have too many people that are basically come to Congress to be a talking head on television as opposed to being a serious legislator. Yeah. And you know, also, the mechanics of Congress have changed. In the old days... You know, you'd work for three weeks, you go home for a week. And so because you're working over the weekends, you were there, you know, it didn't matter you're a Democrat or Republican, your families got together and they went to the same schools, they, the wives became friends, in that case it was mostly men. But it would develop those personal relationships. And it's a lot harder to be a jerk to somebody who you have a personal relationship with. Yeah. Now, you know, basically the work week runs from Tuesday to Thursday, and then everybody goes home. And there is no investment of sticking around and learning and meeting these people and viewing them as humans as opposed to the nasty opposition party. Yeah. And that makes it just a really challenging atmosphere. So you identify the folks that are beyond that, who can work across the aisle, and we try to you know, celebrate that. So we do a big fundraising dinner every spring in DC, and we honor one Democrat, one Republican, somebody from the private sector. And you know, again, it, like a few years ago, I had Tucker Carlson and Rachel Maddow co-MC the event. Oh my God. Because they don't agree on a whole lot, but they both love to fish. And okay. they find common ground there. And as we say, there's a lot to disagree about in Washington, but hunting, fishing, conservation should not be part of that. So it's just getting past that distrust and identifying champions that are willing to do the right thing, not necessarily get all the credit for it. And uh, that is a challenge. I tell you, you got you got more patience than me, and I admire that. And uh, the people who are working for you, for you have got to be not only smart but extremely patient. To well, get work it, done. they are, and they're good. But uh, we've also had. I mean, you look at the successes we've had over the past decade, and it's probably been the best decade for conservation since the 1970s, when we had all the early Clean Water Act, Clean Air Act, all that stuff. And uh, that is, I'm convinced that a large part of that is because our community started banding together and working together on these big things. And, you know, stop settling for crumbs, as Jim Range like, used yeah. to like to say. Yeah. You know, you have the Great American Outdoors Act, which was the Land and Water Conservation Fund and basically dealing with the maintenance backlog on public lands. 
I mean, we just passed a chronic wasting disease bill this past year, you know, which finally invests in the states and in research to begin to try to deal with chronic wasting disease. Uh, you have the, you know, the infrastructure bill, which was $10 billion for natural infrastructure. You know, that's wetlands, that's coastal barrier islands, that's, all, that's migration crossings, you know, all that kind of stuff. We had the climate stuff I've already talked about. You know, so it's been a remarkable you know, decade of success in a time when you know, basically politics don't work, Washington typically doesn't work. So we have found our sweet spot, knock on wood, and, and as long as we're winning, it's pretty darn fun. Absolutely. Well, keep up the good work. Whit Fosberg with the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership. Thanks for being a part of the Upland Nation podcast. Well, Scott, thank you. Anytime. Love being here. Yeah, we'll take a look at all the gear you use and how it should be taking the blame for some of your training um, corrections. Coming up in just a moment, so stick around. Uh, first off, midvalleyclays.com. They're your browning source. If you're looking for a browning shotgun, midvalleyclays.com is where you'll find it. Yeah, in addition to instruction, Dave, Chris, Vandy, and everybody else over there are hunters as well as clay target shooters. So if you're looking for a classic browning shotgun or one of the newer models, these guys can get it if nobody else can. Give them a try. When you're stumped for a source, try midvalleyclays.com. Dot com. And we talk a lot about dogs and uh, helping them achieve peak performance. One of the ways to do that, of course, is to fuel his engine with the right stuff. Joy Dog Food is right up there. Yeah, put some joy in your dog's life. Visit joydogfood.com. American-made, fixed formulas for consistency, and they're available at feed stores throughout the U.S. Whoa, down, sit, whatever. I like to maintain a positive relationship with my wife, my friends, and my dog. So in this Handle It segment, let's talk about letting something else take the blame when it's time for constructive criticism. Yeah, here are some of the things that you can use instead. I, I, I know, I know, you have to assert yourself sometimes. Most of the times, all you want to do is have your dog comply. He doesn't need to fear you. He just needs to follow the rules. For example, you're walking your dog at heel, and we all have to do that sometimes. Let your leash do the dirty work. If he starts, uh, you know, diverging from the path, slam on the brakes, go the other direction, and let the leash yank his chain, almost literally. At a greater distance, a check cord becomes a bad guy when a dog doesn't recall, for example, or whoa. Now here's the key, and it's true whether it's an e-collar, a check cord, or anything else. It's best if you're not making eye contact with the dog as your gear fixes the problem. I just finished an article for Midway USA on that specific topic. Lots more examples and details in there, so check it out at MidwayUSA.com. Or lots of dog training tips at FindBirdHuntingSpots.com. Well, thank you, Whit Fosberg of the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership. 
and thank all of you who comment at social platforms. If you left a rating, I sure do appreciate it. I appreciate our sponsors and their support. They make it possible for us to do this every week. Hope you learned something. That's sageandbreaker.com, pointershotguns.com, joydogfood.com, midvalleyclays.com, and truelockjokes.com. You know, we always talk at the Facebook pages and also at findbirdhuntingspots.com. Thank you for listening. I'm Scott Linden. See you next week on the Upland Nation podcast. Mm-hmm.